Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Kubalup campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. Morning, it's great to see the room full. It's great to be back here amongst family and friends. Um, I was a bit worried this morning when I, when I woke up. Um, climbed out of bed and had a shower and got ready to go, got in the car and come down here. And the temperature number was all wrong. No, it wasn't good at all. It was struggling to find the second digit. And I thought that I'd gone to sleep and I'd woken up in some strange place. Uh, Where had all the blue sky and sunshine gone that we enjoy so much here in Perth? Never mind. I'm sure that it's on its way back. This morning, we're talking about, the sermon topic is, when it all goes wrong. What a great topic. Um, I'm not sure whether to thank Michael for the invitation or not. We'll find out. It did all go wrong last night, by the way. Um, I tried to do too much, and we went for too long, and it was too cold in here. I promise not to do that again this morning. So the current sermon series, we're looking at lessons that we can learn from key biblical characters, those characters who uh, have learned and demonstrated grace under pressure. This time, our attention is focused on Joseph. You remember the biblical character, the guy with the fancy coat, with all those colours that we learned about in Sunday school? Specifically, what we're going to do is look at Joseph and see what it is that we can learn from his life when it all goes wrong. Now, I know that I'm the only one here for whom anything has ever gone wrong. I know that none of you will identify with that. I know that's a foreign concept to you because you've all got perfect lives. Unfortunately... I've found out that not everything turns out the way that I planned it. And I'm sure that you've discovered that as well. Indeed, it's been said that it's impossible to make things foolproof simply because fools are so ingenious. (laughs) Those of you who've got kids will know that. Sometimes when things go wrong, you see, it's a relatively simple matter of picking ourselves up, dusting ourselves off and getting on with the rest of our life. But on other occasions, our actions necessitate a visit to someone with serious medical training. Mum's band-aids and soothing words are just not going to be enough. And then there are other situations, other situations where the only appropriate response is to stand there in utter amazement and think, whatever were you thinking? Here I'm thinking about the woman who stood on the side of the road during the Tour de France recently and held up the cardboard sign. That was a really smart idea, wasn't it? Especially seeing as she had a back to the approaching peloton. It was never going to end well. And unfortunately, others paid the price for that. But there's a really good story that I found. This is a story about Tom Watson. Tom Watson is the founder of IBM. IBM, you know the big computer company, Big Blue, they call it. 
Tom Watson had a junior manager in his organisation who was in charge of research and development. This manager had a brainwave and he devised a scheme, a project that they were going to do. And the project cost $12 million. He was in charge of it. He oversaw it, he ran the program, and the program failed. Oops. The remorseful manager drafted his resignation and hand-delivered it to Tom Watson, saying, I'm certain that you will want me to resign. So here it is. Fortunately, Watson was no fool. He said, no. I've just spent $12 million educating you. It's about time you got to work. Let's see, shall we? Let's see what we can learn from three episodes in Watson's life about what to do when it all goes wrong. And we're going to start reading at Genesis chapter 37. So those of you who've got your Bibles, open them up. Keep them open because I want you to read either side of where we're talking about so that you can follow the whole story because this story spreads itself across three chapters. And the mistake that I made last night was I tried to read three chapters and it was way too much to fit into 30 minutes. Joseph, this Joseph character, and I need to make sure that we're talking about the right Joseph because someone last night confused Joseph of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, with the Joseph of the New Testament. Joseph, the one from the Old Testament, from Genesis, grew up in the land of Canaan. And from a young age, he enjoyed the favour, there's the word, signing ladies, Joseph enjoyed the favour of his father, and his father's name was Jacob. He enjoyed favour with his father because Joseph was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had shown favour to Joseph by providing that robe of many colours. And we pick up the story when Joseph was a young man of 17. Joseph's brothers were envious of the favour that Jacob had shown for Joseph. Later his brothers were to refer to him simply as that dreamer because the Lord saw fit to bless Joseph with a series of dreams. You'll find that down in verse 19. What's going on here is that this is the beginning of something incredible in Joseph's life. Let me read to you a couple of verses from chapter 37, verses 5 through to 9. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheave. His brothers said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and eleven stars were bowing down 
to me. I'm sure you've heard it said that nothing is ever simple. Well, that saying may have started with Joseph because very quickly Joseph finds out that things go wrong. Joseph's father sent him to find out whether all is well with his brothers because his brothers have gone off, they've taken the sheep off elsewhere and they're looking after them. Joseph's father sends Joseph to find the brothers, find the sheep and find out whether everything is going well. Joseph is charged to check and to report if it is all well with your brothers and with the flock. Now, as the story unfolds, what happens is that Joseph had incurred the displeasure of his brothers. And right here, we run off script because it's all going to go wrong. Joseph finds that he's not only his brothers displeased with him, but they are so displeased with him that they finish up throwing him in a well and then they pull him out of the well and then they sell him to slave traders. And he eventually finishes up in Egypt, a very, very long way from home. And it's about to get worse. Because what the brothers do is decide they've got to concoct a story to tell the father what's happened to this favoured son. What they do is they take his robe of many colours, they slaughter a goat, cover the robe in blood and then take it back to the father. And his father is so completely overcome with grief when he hears the news of the apparent death of his favoured son that he gets all upset. And he refuses to receive the condolences of the other children. So if he's, re if he's not able to receive those condolences, imagine what's going to happen if he knew about the betrayal and the duplicity of the older son. You see, very quickly, life gets complicated when it goes wrong. The second episode that we're going to read is in chapter 39. And what we find there is the focus shifts from jo Jacob's family land in Cana to Joseph is now in Egypt. And Joseph is about to learn that if he thought that he got a raw deal from his brothers, he's about to find out that the female of the species is just as dangerous. Before we get there, though, it's important to note that there is a pattern that we're going to see in each of these three episodes. And that pattern is, first there is favour, and that's followed by betrayal. There is favour, followed by betrayal. Let's read from Genesis 39, 1 to 6. What I'm going to do is pick out those parts where favour is shown. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard and the Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he, get, and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him, 
And he, Potiphar, made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Got the idea? This man is so pleased that he has acquired Joseph, that Joseph's, the Lord's favour is upon Joseph, everything is going well, Potiphar can relax and hand everything over to Joseph's control. The Lord had showed favour in this new setting and Potiphar had seen that favour upon Joseph. So Potiphar quickly promotes Joseph making him the overseer of his whole house. The Lord blessed Joseph and Potiphar, both in the house and in the field. Things go well at home, things go well in the business. But, as before, Joseph's success soon drew attention from those who were driven by envy and jealousy. To make matters worse, we're told, that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Got the idea? He's a good-looking guy. And Joseph's about to learn that what could be seen as an asset can very quickly become a liability. If you look forward, glance forward to verses 7 to 20, what you're going to see as the story unfolds. And what we find is, oh no... It's all gone wrong again. Joseph loses again. This time, however, he's not assaulted by violence, but he's assaulted by the seductive voice of temptation. You see, what he's doing is he's learning that the enemy of our souls has many devices in his armoury. And the enemy of our souls, he's not afraid to use those and to use them to devastating effect. Joseph found that he'd gone from the top of the pile to the bottom in world record time, maybe even an Olympic record. His quick promotion from the position of prominence as the overseer within Potiphar's house and lands has been wildly successful. It was successful because the Lord had shown favour And that success, combined with Joseph's good looks, meant that he attracted attention. Unfortunately, not all attention is wanted. It is just as well that Joseph's response in the situation is quick, for he said, when tempted, how then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knew that his privileged position came because he had found favour with the Lord and with Potiphar. And he was not about to jeopardise either of those things. Isn't it interesting? He said, how could I do such a wicked thing? Why? Because Potiphar had made him overseer of his house, had given charge to Joseph of everything in the house except his wife. To do that would have been to do a wicked thing. 
But he not only said, how could I do such a wicked thing? He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew that the favour that was upon him had come in the first place from the Lord. To sin against Potiphar would mean to sin against God as well. So he was not going to jeopardise either of those things. So we've read how unwanted attention, seduction and temptation were all rejected. And we've read just how quickly that turns into vindictive betrayal. What I find intriguing here is that temptation and lies and destructive consequences are all features of the broad way that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. Remember those two ways? One's a broad way, one's a narrow way. One's easy and one's hard. Temptation, lies and destruction follows that broad way. On the other hand, the narrow way, the much harder way, is the road that leads to life. And few find it and few follow it. Joseph's in a situation now where he found himself confined to prison. Potiphar hears the allegations of his wife, gets angry, sends Joseph to prison. Joseph finds himself in a prison cell. And prison cells are narrow and hard. But what happens in prison is Genesis 39, we're up to verse 19. What we find, what Joseph finds when he gets to prison is that he finds favour again. We're reading from verse 19. As soon as his master heard these words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Have you got the idea? Wherever Joseph goes, he finds favour. Why? Because the Lord is with him and he finds betrayal as well. So here, Joseph immediately finds favour again, this time with the prison warden. You see, the Lord went before Joseph And the Lord went with Joseph. And since the Lord's favour was upon Joseph and that favour was clear, the warden put him in charge. The warden effectively made Joseph the authority over all of the prisoners. Got an idea? So the newest prisoner becomes in charge of all of the other prisoners. The prison warden knew that the Lord was with Joseph Because whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Now it's about here that we begin to switch on to the idea that there's something going on here. What's going on is that there's sovereign fingerprints 
over this whole story. The question begging attention, though, is why is Joseph on such a roller coaster ride of extreme highs, followed very quickly by equally demoralizing lows? What's going on? And the answer must be that there's something that we've not seen yet. Now, has anybody experienced that pattern in your life? You go from here to here in record time. Remember, we're considering what happens when it all goes wrong. Now, the third episode in Joseph's life that we're going to look at this morning involves a feature from the first, that is, dreams. This time, however, Joseph is not the dreamer. Joseph becomes the interpreter of dreams. Before we get that far, however, I want to introduce you to two more characters. Both of these characters are significant figures in the Egyptian royal household. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from the start of chapter 40. Sometime after this, remember, Joseph was 17 when we picked the story up. There's been a lapse of time going on here. So Joseph is going to be in the age range maybe of his early 20s, something like that. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offence against their lord and the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Remember who the captain of the guard is? Captain of the guard's Potiphar. So the Pharaoh put these two officers in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them and they continued for some time in his custody. So the chief cupbearer and the chief baker had done something wrong. We're not told what that was, except that whatever it was, was significant because it caused offence to Pharaoh and it caused so much offence that when they breached protocol and Pharaoh was displeased that he saw fit to send them to jail. He sent them to the same jail where Joseph was. And remember, Joseph is already in charge in that jail. So what we've noticed is that there's a repeating pattern that's occurring throughout Joseph's story. We saw that he found favour and it's soon followed by betrayal. He found favour with his father Jacob only to be betrayed by his brothers. He found favour with Potiphar only to be betrayed by Potiphar's wife. And this episode, what we're going to find, is no different at all. The former chief cupbearer and chief baker are placed under the control of the captain of the guard who delegates authority for their supervision to Joseph. The text doesn't state it explicitly, but the inference is that Joseph was placed in charge because he found favour with the captain of the guard. What we're finding as you read forward, if you read forward verses 6 through to 19, you're going to find sovereign fingerprints again. God is at work in this situation. He's at work in the situation with these celebrity 
Prisoners, both prisoners, have dreams and they both have dreams on the same night. However, when they wake up the next morning, they're really troubled because there is no one to interpret their dreams. Because there's no one to interpret the dreams, there is no understanding. They don't have understanding what the dreams mean. So when Joseph finds the prisoners, they're both looking downcast because there is no interpretation and there's no understanding. And Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? So tell them to me. Got no idea? Joseph's saying, God is the one who gives interpretations. If you tell me your dream, perhaps God will be pleased to speak through me to you and provide understanding. Joseph becomes the interpreter. And Joseph's interpretations hinge upon a phrase where he says to both, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. The outcome for each of the characters, although Pharaoh is going to lift up their head, their outcome is very, very different. The cupbearer was to be restored to his previous role with all the attendant privileges. The baker, on the other hand, was to be lifted up and hung on a tree and become food for birds. Soon enough, the accuracy of Joseph's words become plain to see when the third day arrives. We're up to verse 20 of Genesis 40. When that third day arrives, as he'd said, Pharaoh did indeed lift up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He lifted up the head of the former to a place of honour and he lifted up the head of the latter to a place of dishonour. The real kicker in this episode, however, is what happens to the cupbearer, not what happens to the baker. When Joseph had interpreted the cupbearer's dream, he had requested that the cupbearer, remember me when it is well with you. Okay, When things go well with you, remember me and mention me to Pharaoh so that I can get out of this house. Sadly, what happens is the pattern repeats. Joseph finds favour only to encounter betrayal. Despite witnessing the most unpleasant outcome for the chief baker, the chief cupbearer still betrays Joseph. It seems that the cupbearer gets all enthusiastic about escaping the sentence of imprisonment that he had, but he quickly succumbs to amnesia when he's freed from the prison. He gets forgetful. And he forgets to when he's restored to his previous role to mention anything about Joseph. And the account concludes with that sad observation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And we're left to wonder what to do when it all goes wrong. So what then should we do? What are we to learn from these three episodes in Joseph's life? Are there any points of connections with our day-to-day -day lives in all those thousands of years later? I think the answer to that is yes. There are some really important take-home points here. You see, the life of Joseph is not that much different to our own. How many of you have found favour 
How many of you have found success, have found acclaim, have found contentment in what you do? Only to find out then that you know loss that comes because of circumstance. Maybe circumstances out of your control. Maybe that loss comes because of misadventure. Or maybe even some of you have fallen victim to the equivalent of Potiphar's wife. It is important for us to be wise about these things because, as I've said before, the enemy has a whole array of deceitful, excuse me, whole array of deceitful strategies that are designed to trap us. Those strategies are designed to ensnare the foolish and those who are not wise. How many of you remember your mum saying, don't play with fire because you're going to get your fingers burnt? And these things don't only happen once, do they? Often they're repeating patterns. So are there repeating patterns in your life? If so, maybe you need to take note. These accounts from the life of Joseph point us towards a commitment to a life of faithful service. You see, Joseph had fixed his eyes and his heart upon the things of, his Lord, things of the Lord, and the Lord had blessed him by showing favour to him. Who could forget the response that he gave when he was enticed by the alluring wife of Potiphar? He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can we do these things? When I've found favour with the Lord, how can I continue to do wicked things? The answer, of course, is that there's more to the story. We've covered the bit where it all goes wrong, but there's much more. There's a much bigger picture and Michael's going to get to share that bigger picture with you next week. But I'm going to steal some of his thunder. Because right at the end of his life, Joseph outlines the bigger picture when he says to those who are going to deal with his body after he dies, what he says to them is, God will surely come to your aid, and he will take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the Lord had established a covenant with Abraham that flowed to Isaac, that flowed to Jacob, that flowed to every other generation down through the ages, and it flows to you and to me. The Lord established that covenant, and he will faithfully fulfill every part of that covenant. Of that covenant. The promise of people and land for Abraham is fulfilled in part in the fact that you and I are here this morning. See, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you too are included in God's covenant. That means that when things go wrong in your life, the Lord will come to your aid. He may not come today, but he will come. The Lord will take you out of your present circumstances. and The Lord will fulfill his promises. He will do this because he is a faithful God who is for his people. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these lessons from the life of Joseph. Please open our ears to hear 
what you are doing when it all goes wrong. Open our eyes that we might see what it is that you're doing in our lives. And open our hearts, Lord, and fill them with wonder at the gift of life that you gave us. Help us, Lord, to cooperate with your Spirit as he works in us, transforming us daily more and more into the image of the Son of God. And help us, Lord, to find our place amongst this community of believers who meet here at Kubalup Community Church. These things we pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.